Hello, hello, hello. This is Tamika Seaton, President and CEO of Grow Your Nonprofit, where we help startups, small and stagnant nonprofits grow through fundraising strategies, strategic planning, and so much more. Guys, today you are in for a treat. We're doing something a little different today. We're talking about business, but we'll spin it back around with nonprofit. So, before we get started, I'd like to thank the sponsors of my podcast, Hodges University with a campus in Fort Myers. Stay near, go far. They change lives for the better. Trinity Life Foundation Naples, helping at-risk youth in Collier County change their lives around through their enrichment programs. AVID, that stands for the Associations of Haitians Living Abroad. They just opened an amazing support system where they would help you with immigration, rental, and utility billing. Last but not least... We have Vax Truth. They just received a grant from the CDC to raise awareness of COVID-19, the vaccine, and the black and brown communities. Guys, today we have our special guest, Steve, and he is with Edison Business Advisors. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Steve, I met you recently. Actually, I met you several months ago, but reconnected with you um, at the Above Board Chamber event. And you spoke, and you are a business broker. Please, first, let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what is a business broker. Well, thank you. Yeah, so um, actually, I didn't know what a business broker was until probably about six years ago myself. So I started my career with General Electric and spent 31 years with General Electric in various capacities. And then I took an early retirement um, in 2015. I started teaching as an adjunct instructor down at Florida Gulf Coast University. Oh, wow. So I was teaching in the business finance and a few other courses, which was which was fun. Um, and then I had a opportunity to... Uh, to sit in on another class where a, a business broker came in oh, wow. to talk about how to value privately held businesses. Huh. So most of the time when you go through school, you talk about how to value publicly traded companies and you use IBM and the GEs as examples for all your classwork. Um, so I learned about this, this concept of a business broker and I had coffee with the business broker and hmm. said, you know, tell me a little more about this. And I found out that a business broker in Florida, you need to have a real estate license. Oh, wow. Which uh, I did during my, uh, you know, right after I retired, I went ahead and got a real estate uh-huh, license because uh-huh. everybody does in Florida. I know, and, right? <laughs> and so uh, so I became, uh, so I talked to the business broker. I said, okay, what, what's, what do you need to do this? Because I think it'd be something I would enjoy. Yeah. And so, well, you need a real estate license. Got that. And need to know a little bit about finance, which I was okay. teaching business finance. Okay, so, check, check. And my finance degree and all that good stuff. So, uh, so that worked out. So a business broker is basically, it's a middle man if, or middle person, if you will. Uh-huh. It's an intermediary who uh, who helps business owners who are looking to transition, you know, due to retirement or other reasons, mm-hmm. to sell their business. So a business broker basically goes in and helps them understand the value of their mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. and then confidentially markets the business. Meaning, you don't know, go out and say, you know, I'm selling, uh, you know, Tamika's, you know housewares or Tamika's uh, plumbing company. Yes, yes. You go out and say, we're selling a Southwest Florida business. Yes, Southwest yes. Florida plumbing company. Use that as an example. Uh-huh. Um, and then you confidentially market it and you, you know, ideally you find a, a suitable match and hmm. get a good buyer who, uh, who has the financial wherewithal to make the acquisition and then you move on. So why, why is the business confidential when you're in the process of selling it oh it's 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 very different like having a real estate license you you know you put a for sale sign out in front of the house and say we're selling yeah. the house mm-hmm. um, businesses are very different because the person buying the business is buying a sustainable cash flow huh. business that's been proven 
So you don't want to go out and say, we're selling this business uh -huh. because number one, employees will all right. of a be a little concerned and might right. start bailing out on you. Suppliers might be concerned about <laughs> extending credit to you. Yes. Um, and then your customers might think, you know, what's going on here? Right. We're, uh, we're losing, you know, the business. So the goal is to make it as sustainable as possible um, with the transition and oh. hopefully make it as seamless as possible. But confidentiality is really a very critical reason you would hire a business broker yeah. to deal with it. So you're not dealing with all the buyers and all these people. Um, a business broker screens those out, has a non-disclosure agreement with the buyers and, and makes sure that you know, it's an appropriate uh -huh, person that, uh -huh. that could potentially buy the business. Yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. And I know I know our audience is wondering why we're talking about business. Yeah. But number one, nonprofit is a business, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just the difference between a, a for-profit and non-profit is, is this tax exemption status, right? And of, of course, another major difference is that you can't sell yeah. a nonprofit if you were to close down a nonprofit. Any funds left, it has to be donated to another nonprofit. Right, right. So you can't keep it, you can't sell it. Unlike a business, you can't do that. But I say that to say, with the nonprofit world, we do have board members. Correct. And we also have donors. Yeah, so. Absolutely. A board member or donor, as we know, a lot of them are former business owners, former CEOs uh, and, you know, Fortune 500 companies and above. And if they sell a business, uh, I know they probably hit, I don't know if it's capital gains when they sell their business, but they may think about leaving a nonprofit in their, their estate plans as well as maybe making a large contribution Absolutely. to the nonprofit after they sell their business. Yeah, so we, you know, I have a number of them who are ready to retire. I mean, they, they want to, you know, especially if they're part of the Southwest Florida community, which is very uh, philanthropic right. and people want to stay involved and mm -hmm. help out. So a lot of them are like, you know, what do you, I always ask them before they even sell, what are you going to do? Well, I have this charity I'm involved in or I have, you know, hmm. so that's their, their mindset is, uh, you know, what am I going to, and plus, like you said, you know, the tax implications, I mean, there's different ways to offset and minimize some of the tax obviously contributing to charities is one right. way and there's there's things that you know the wealth advisors and, and attorneys can help as far as uh, some trust planning and estate planning and things like that but yeah for sure that's a that's a big part of it mm -hmm. and, and steve before we started the podcast we had a little conversation of things that business owners essential things that business owners need such as an attorney can you go down that list well you know what unfortunately i see a lot of uh when I talk to a seller, it's usually, you know, like you know, last couple of years, you know, they're in their late 60s and say, hey, I want to sell my business. And, you know, you ask them, you know, have you done any planning? You know, the tax impact, you know, you have a financial planner. Um, so what they really should have is a team. You know, team. I'm, I'm one member of the team. Okay. Um, a lot of them come with their team, and those are the good business. Well, I say a lot of them are good business. Yeah. The ones yeah. that organize have, have their financial yeah. planner, have their CPA, and have their attorney. You know, kind of all on the same page, yeah. understanding their goals. Um, so having that team, and it's hard for small businesses sometimes mm -hmm. to make that investment. Right. To you know, and yes, attorneys are expensive for for good reason for a lot of them because they are well trained and can yeah. really help you yeah. dodge a lot of bullets as well as your financial planner to make sure that you understand okay if and when i sell my business 
do I have enough money to live on? And what am I going to do with that money? Um, so that's why I think building that team is is critical. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, building a team is very important. I know oftentimes nonprofits say, well, we don't have any money. We're a nonprofit. Right. Um, but it is very important to invest in a team. In in my case, a, a nonprofit consultant, because what I see oftentimes nonprofits, they try to do everything on their own yeah. and file their own paperwork. And then I say, well, let me look at your IRS determination letter. And some of them choose private foundation. And that's, uh, you want to be a public charity, yeah. not a private foundation. You you want to solicit money. You don't want to give money. That's what private foundations yeah, yeah, gotcha. do. But but then when they do that, now you have to hire an attorney to get you out of this, to file the paperwork correctly. And then oftentimes a lot of them struggle with finding the right board members because the first thing they do, they put their friends and family on the board. So the first thing you really want to do is diversify your board with maybe a banker, someone from the marketing who really understands business and who could also get, give and leverage your organization. And then after that, okay, we need a strategic plan, right? And how do we raise money? So, and it more than pays for itself when Absolutely. you have the right team. Yeah. yeah. I say the nonprofits I've been associated, you know, the, the most, well, all of them are valuable members, but some of the most valuable members, like you said, mm -hmm. the attorney who's on the board mm -hmm. who can really give some significant yeah. advice. You know, the banker, uh, those are those are kind of a couple key positions, I yeah. think, of, to jump off. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier before we started recording that uh, you serve on nonprofit boards. Now, you don't have to name any of the nonprofit yeah. board, but as a board member, what kind of recommendation could you give, say, a nonprofit who is a startup or they st they're stagnant and they, they can't seem to figure out how to grow and raise money? Yeah, I think the uh, going back again, um, the getting some good team members on the uh, the board of uh, the board of directors yes. is critical. And again, people familiar with the legalities first just to make sure mm -hmm. you don't get yourself right. in trouble so having the attorney having having the marketing person and the pr firm involved or people who are familiar with that um, that's huge you know event planning and and things like that because you know if you do the event planning i mean that's key to fundraising mm -hmm. you know so some of some of the key members like that right influ influencers in the business e in the community yeah exactly and, and not a lot of board members are savvy but savvy board members before they join a board they should ask for at least three things then they should look at the 990 you can go on the irs yeah. website and see if that nonprofit has filed their 990 because if they haven't filed it three years in a row they can lose their nonprofit status um number two what do their finances look like yeah you know are they are they sustainable or are they, they they're going down and then number three is um do they have directors and officers insurance? Because if somebody sues the nonprofit, guess what? If they, the nonprofit doesn't have that DNO insurance, they're coming after yeah. the board members. Yeah. And a lot of board members don't realize that they're liable if that nonprofit doesn't have DNO yeah. insurance. Exactly. And that's very, very important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with that said, going back to business, because mm -hmm. I believe in business, and yes, a nonprofit is a business. Yes, it is. Just it's the only difference <laughs> the only is thing you can't sell it, you know? The you just that. can't sell it. You, you still have to market, you have to raise money. So yeah. yeah, you still have to market, you have Motivate to raise employees. money. Exactly. You have to you have to do all that. And then you have to be you have to do something different because typically in nonprofit world, 
um, the pay scale is a little different oh, sure. than the for-profit world. Sure. So uh, that's really interesting. So we talked about having a team. Let's talk about the importance of having um, an exit strategy for your business. And that means you're getting ready to sell your business. What do you need to do to get your business in a position to be sellable? So there's there's a few things. When I, when I uh, talk about exit strategy, it's usually... Um, like I said, I'm talking to the person who's ready to sell their business now. If I could go back in time, mm -hmm. um, and for anyone who's, who's starting or has their business right now, not planning to sell for a number of years, I would say your exit planning should start day one or now. Mm -hmm. Meaning, okay, I'm not planning on retiring until 10 years from now. Well, I hate to say it, but things can happen. Um, you know, if you have a partner, stuff can happen there. Um, your personal health things could happen mm -hmm. family situations mm -hmm. could change um, so you should always have an exit plan in place and that again means talking to an attorney if, if it's a mm -hmm. you know if you're in a partnership you have yeah. a buy sell agreement you know in other words if something happens to this person i can buy them out etc etc um, so having a plan in place is critical leading up to getting it sellable um, the keys, the keys to that are clean financial records. You know, making sure you got the, the bookkeeping clean and, and up to snuff, and and have a good CPA that's doing your taxes. So, you know, right away the credibility is of the buyer oh, looking at your business goes away. Yeah, you know? yeah. So having that in place, having where possible, having the employees, you know, properly. Uh, I want to say properly. Um, uh, one of, <laughs> I'm trying to think. You know, properly um, fixed to the business, meaning. You know, the non-compete agreements, are there benefit plans in place? Is there a retention, you know, some type of retention program in place? Because if I'm buying the business, I want to make sure that it continues to do what it's been doing. It's a great business. It's been making money. Um, why is that? Because it has these employees in place. It has good financial records, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, is, is making sure where possible you have recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. So... You know, you'll see it in you know a lot of the service businesses. Like, think about air conditioning businesses. Yeah. Where you have service contracts. Yeah. Those service contracts are valuable because you now have recurring oh. revenue. You have customers that are going to be there. It's not a, a once and done type of right. situation. So anything you can do to build up that recurring revenue, and obviously nowadays social media is critical because first thing somebody's going to do is look at mm -hmm. your ratings on social media and see how other you know clients or customers yeah. value you. Um, so those kind of things I think mm -hmm. are, are kind of top of mind. Yeah, and also we talked about um, life insurance, or you called it um, key man insurance. Key, key man insurance. insurance. Could, you, could you explain to our audience what is that and the importance of having it? Yeah, so if, if you have a business, and let's say that, you know, Tamika is running a business and she's kind of the, the face of the business, the business value, a lot of it is because of her role and her leadership. Um, and if other people are investing in that business, mm -hmm. employees, other, you know, if there's other, uh, you know, partners in that business, mm -hmm. you may have insurance on Tamika that the business actually pays for. Mm -hmm. That in the case, I hate to say this, but in the case something happens, we to are Tamika, gonna go one day. Sorry, still has the funds to, you know, perhaps hire an interim CEO. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's again, it's a, it's huh. an insurance policy to make sure the business continues. You know, huh? Very. You also have insurance policies for buy sell agreements. So again, if you and I are partners in a business, and let's just say I have to die then we have an agreement in place right. that my insurance will pay my wife and then you will take over the full ownership huh. of the business interesting kind of interesting and you mentioned that you can get that type of insurance from your regular I would talk insurance, to your insurance agent yeah. yeah and with all the different you know operating agreements you definitely want to have a good 
you know, business attorney uh, on your team, you know. Interesting. So you mentioned non-compete clauses. Are those really enforceable? I I had a conversation with someone. They said, yeah, it's good to have, but they're not really enforceable. If you were to take that person to court, then it's really not going to go anywhere. Well, the person still has to have a way to make a living. Right. Um, So I have not experienced it personally in the, you know, I've I've only been doing it, you know, a little over five years. Mm -hmm. So all the non-competes, you know, that I've seen, or been part of I have not had anybody violate that because quite frankly most of the people were retiring Uh or moving or doing something else so I've heard cases though where people did get you know severely penalized for you know setting up shop you know doing the same type of business they were doing I heard it's you know especially in Florida I heard it's very uh, very difficult but I'm not able to really elaborate you know, yeah. about that yeah 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 I, I i do wonder i do wonder about that that's just interesting okay so before we wrap up can you share a story with our audience um that would make people really rethink that i really need to invest and in, say an operating agreement or something something that you've experienced maybe with a past client yeah. or maybe a story you just heard no i have i have a couple examples one's pretty recent um I was asked to to value a business with uh, two partners, mm-hmm. um, and they they both came from the same industry. I won't mention um, industries, local business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came from the same industries, had the same skills and backgrounds, and they brought their partnership, their team together, if you will. Um, and the two of them were doing very very well, very mm-hmm. successful, mm-hmm. Um, and didn't, been doing it for a number of years together. And then uh, one partner is like, okay, I'm ready to, to move on. Mm-hmm. And so they they asked me, hey, what's you know what do you think the value is? And uh, the, they were contemplating selling the business, or the one partner was going to buy the other partner out. Mm-hmm. So you know the valuation, which is only opinion of value from uh-huh. from me, uh-huh. I'm not a certified appraiser. That would be something you could oh. defend in court, which would be a lot more expensive than uh-huh. than you know, asking me to do it. By the uh-huh. way, but mm-hmm. um, so anyhow, the two partners you know um, saw the value, and then uh, unfortunately the partnership you know because they didn't have clear guidelines huh. on what do we do you know it became you know a little uh, a little bit of a conflict yeah. between two people that worked closely together were friends for a long hmm. time so that was you know kind of unfortunate to, yeah. to see yeah. some of that happen but um and then the other one was a uh, there was uh, a gentleman who owned a business in florida and he didn't have any family members or you know wasn't married oh. um he owned the business was doing quite well he got sick passed away Two brothers took ownership of the business. One brother lived out of, well, both of them lived out of, out of mm-hmm. town, different mm-hmm. states. And now all of a sudden they had to manage a business from, you know, basically across the country. Oh, wow. Um, they had a general manager in place. But again, the business, you know, kind of would had a little difficulty. We, we didn't end up selling it, but, you know, it, it requires a lot. If you had a operating agreement or key man insurance, mm-hmm. you know, bring in an mm-hmm. interim CEO, something like that would have would mm-hmm. have helped a little mm-hmm. bit on that. And, 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 and last question, how does one evaluate, like what does that process look like for evaluating the, a business to see what it's worth? So, yeah, you'll hear multiples thrown around. You got to be really careful uh, when people say, oh, I heard so-and-so serve for five times this or five, you know, five times what? We need to right. understand what it is. For most Main Street businesses, when I say Main Street businesses, I'm talking businesses under $5 million. Mm-hmm. You know, above that, we call it, you know, lower middle market, mm-hmm. and, you know. But for Main Street businesses, owner-operator type businesses, uh, we look at what what's called discretionary earnings. Okay. Or you know, other terms you'll hear, adjusted income or owner benefit. So what will happen is we'll, we'll look at your tax returns and your financial statements, and you'll show a net income, for example, of, you know, let's say you show net income of $10,000. 
So you're showing Uncle Sam, right? I made a profit of ten thousand right. dollars. Well, then what we do to get the the what's the owner benefit? We right. look and say, okay, what other items were in there that the owner benefited from? Right. The key one is salary, of course. Mm -hmm. Maybe you had health insurance. Maybe you had your auto run through there. Maybe your auto insurance. Things that are not necessary to keep the business operating. Mm -hmm. So a new person coming in would say, well, I don't need to pay for that. So at, at 10,000, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's worth, you know, 150,000 mm -hmm. or whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. Then we look at that and say, okay, there's a multiple on that. And the multiples vary by industry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, again, and by the types of business, if you have a lot of contracts in the business or, you know, like I said, different, different uh, industries have different multiples, mm -hmm. but on average, historical average, which is really risky to say that because mm -hmm. people run with those numbers, but the rule of thumb on average has been 2.3 times your owner benefit. Mm. Um, I sold businesses over three times and I sold businesses at one time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so you yeah. look at what is my benefit because as a buyer, you're going to say, okay, that's the cash flow I'm getting from this business. Mm -hmm. What can I afford to pay to be able to you know, service my debt if I'm taking a loan or, or get yeah. the proper payback? Uh -huh. That's interesting. I'm happy you mentioned that because when you look at the net, that $10,000, it could come back to bite you, right? If you're I'm just talking about not the salary and the other things, but if you're making all these deductions so that you could avoid paying out Uncle Sam or yep. a lot less, when it comes to getting funding for your business, you're not qualified because you don't have the income. Yeah. So that could also come back to bite you. And that's where a, a CPA would come into play to Yeah, so you want to, you want to, I mean, there are some things that, you know, um, you can do that are, are legal and appropriate. Right. Um, I've seen people stretch the, uh, yeah. stretch the envelope quite a bit, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it the, again, going back to the cleaner the financial records, yeah. the better off you are. Um, so you're always going to add back owner salary. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. You, know, you took a sixty thousand dollars salary, you add that back. Um, some of the other things can be questionable or suspect. Mm -hmm. The Small Business Administration, the SBA, which is a huge source of, of financing for mm -hmm. small businesses, mm -hmm. um, they'll look at you know your net. And add back certain things that are very clear, like the owner, the owner's salary mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and depreciation, which is not in cash item. That's just a really a accounting write off. Yeah. Well, Steve, I wish we could sit here and talk <laughs> all day because you're a wealth of knowledge. And thank you for coming in today and sharing your knowledge with our audience. I think it's very valuable. If we were able to reach one person and help them, then we've made a difference. Can you please share with our audience how they can reach you? Sure. Um, you can email me at uh, Steve at Edison ba.com or my phone number is 239-565-3171 and what about your website the website is edisonba.com edisonba for businessadvisors.com and guess what i am on steve's email list and he will send out a list of businesses for sale Absolutely. so if you don't want to start a business and you just want to buy a business and start off on the right foot he can help you out. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Tamika with Grow Your Nonprofit. Stay tuned for more.